talking uh, this morning about materialism. And um, as we finish up our series on Christianity's toughest competitors. And I don't want you to think that I'm uh, a uh, fascist, socialist, commie, anti-American pig. When I give you the title of this sermon, or what I like to title it, I don't even usually give my sermons titles, but this one I will because it's so catchy, controversial, and probably misguided. But just hang with me on it, and you'll see what I mean. I want to title this, Capitalism is Heresy. <laughs> now, now, there's a communist here. Isn't it? <laughs> okay, just hang with me on this. The verdict is really in on uh, what economic system is going to run the world or at least be dominant in the world. And uh, sociologists and economic specialists agree that the winner is capitalism. The world, communism has fallen, socialism is failing, and uh, the world is increasingly becoming capitalistic. Soviet Union, what was the Soviet Union, has taken our lead. Japan's taken our lead. China's even beginning to take our lead. India's been taking the lead, and they're becoming increasingly capitalistic. Is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, it depends on how you look at it. What makes capitalism work? Let me, let me first talk about, this is a three-minute intro to this sermon. Someone just yawned when I said it. You yawned. Uh, oh, great. He's going to talk about economics. Well, just bear with me for a three-minute economic ditty. <laughs> capitalism works because it fits reality. It squares with reality. And it works for the same reason that scientific theories work. The, the, the theory which squares most with the way things really are is the one that, that works. And so it is with economics. It's really just the science of human behavior. Find out what makes human beings tick, apply it to economics, and you're going to have a successful economic system. And capitalism works, I believe, because it squares with reality better than other economic systems do. There's a good side of that and a bad side of that. Capitalism works, I believe, because on the one hand, human beings are made in the image of God and are made to be free. And capitalism encourages and even requires that people are free inside the human heart because we're made in the image of God. This is a God thing, I believe. We long to be free to, 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 to some extent, determine our own destiny. To some extent, to chart our own future. To some extent, make our own bed and, and sleep in it. And capitalism requires that. Other systems, communism, socialism, other isms, to the extent that they, they deny human freedom and put a cap on human freedom, they just don't square with reality, and so they don't work. That's the godly side of capitalism. There's a not-so-godly side to capitalism, but it still is the best system going because this is a real thing, and capitalism is based on real things, and that is that human, people, human beings are greedy. People always want more. They're always hungry for more. The genius of capitalism is that it sees that as a reality, it sees that sinfulness as a reality, and it doesn't try to deny it, it rather takes a vice and makes a virtue out of it. The only way things economically grow is by getting people to do more than is necessary. And nothing gets people to do what is more than necessary than greed. In, in, in the medieval feudal society, they tried to hammer out an economic system based on uh, protection. The common people were protected by knights and lords, and, and, and in return, the common people worked uh, for those knights and lords. And it was an economic system based on protection, but it never could motivate people to do more than the bare minimum. I mean, you, you did what you had to do, and you got by. So you always did the minimum, and so there's no economic growth. Communism hangs before people to motivate people. This uh, Marxist ideal of, of the good of the whole, the good of the state, the common good, has to have all things in common. 
But that doesn't float people's boat either. It doesn't motivate them. They'll do what is minimum necessary for themselves, but they're not inspired to work for the common good. Marx just wasn't realistic about the reality of human sin, of human greed. Socialism with its ideal of, of class envy and taking from the rich and kind of spreading it all in, in an equal distribution of things, you can get a little bit of mileage out of that. That fuels people for a little bit, but again, sooner or later, they sink to doing a minimalist amount of work, and so there's no economic growth. But capitalism... Capitalism looks at the reality of greed and says, there ain't nothing we're going to do about it, so let's co-opt it. Let's use it. That will motivate people. And so what capitalism says is this. Whatever you earn, whatever you can make, and whatever you can acquire, you can keep. And there's no ceiling on how much you can earn, how much you can get, how much you can acquire. Get as big a slice of the pie as you can. Grab it all. Eat as much as you can. And don't worry about what the fallout's going to be. Because capitalism sees that that's good for the whole society. A rising tide floats all boats. And so you let the rich get rich, and they create jobs for other people. And, and as they get rich, they create jobs for other people, and the, entire, and, and the entire society progresses. Because now, with the carrot stick of, of wealth in front of everyone's face, now you have people doing more than the bare minimum. You have them working hard and slaving hard to earn more money to buy things that they don't really need. And that's good for everybody. Capitalism works. It's a smart system. Our founding fathers saw this. Government should be as little involved in the free market as possible. Amen. We got <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on. Now you're talking the gospel. <laughs> we should be taxed as little as possible. Tax what you need to run the government and let the free market have its way. So capitalism works. And economically, I'll tell you that I like capitalism. I think it's good that it's spreading. It has produced a nation that is, has got the highest standard of living, the, the, the highest GPA, uh, gross national product. Gee, that's not GPA. That's grade point average. I'm a professor. <laughs> We're smarter than everyone else. Gross national product. It really has produced the, the best thing around. And, and so I am a capitalist. And I'm proud of it. A conservative capitalist. But! That's the end of my economic ditty. I was on a roll there. I should have kept on going. Does that mean that Christians should unequivocally endorse it? Unequivocally accept it? I don't think so. The Bible we saw, we've seen throughout this whole series on Christianity's toughest competitors tells us to test all things and to hold fast to that which is good. It says to be aware of all human philosophies, and capitalism is a human philosophy. And so we need, to be, we need to make a critical assessment of capitalism and look at it from a biblical perspective and be on our guard about it. As a matter of fact, in spite of the fact that it's the best thing going economically, I believe it is one of the toughest competitors that Christianity wrestles with, if not the toughest competitor that, that we're up against, because it's the one that's most influential in our lives. Let me read you another passage of Scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6 that deals specifically with the question of seeking to get rich, wanting more and more. 1 Timothy chapter 6, by the way, this sermon is brought to you by Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. <laughs> Paul says in verse 3, 
If anyone loves false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, note, little footnote break here, he's talking about heresy here. He's talking about teaching that is not sound. And he's going to talk about longing for riches under the category of false doctrine. That's an interesting way of looking at it. If anyone uh, doesn't agree to sound doctrine, then he's conceited and understands nothing. Paul didn't mince words. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, and malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. Now Paul's going to start talking about financial gain. It is interesting, as another little footnote, I'm not going to say too much about it, but what gets him into this topic about longing for riches is his awareness that there are preachers out there who are making a show of godliness for financial gain. They're getting rich off of believing Christians. And I think that that is as true, if not more true today, than it was back then. Because where better to hang out? If you're a a money-hungry mongrel, where better to make money than among people who are giving and believing and trusting, especially if you come across as being a man or a woman of God? Wolves preying on the sheep. Beware of human philosophies, Paul says. I'm going to leave that where it's at. He goes on, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. With contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, if we just have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap. A temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let let, let me pray for a moment here before I get into the substance of this message. Lord, take your word and apply it to our lives, Lord. You've told us to love not the world and don't love the things of this world. And Lord, we find that there are many hooks in us that lead us to, cause us to wander from the faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this message to free us. Free us to be the people with peace, the people with, with contentment that you've called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. There's five things that Paul says about capitalism in this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to quickly run through these five. He says it's a temptation. He says it's a trap. He says it's foolish. He says it's destruction. And he says it's a heresy. Let me touch on each one of these. First of all, Paul says that it is a temptation. Everybody's got a hungry heart. We are created that way. We're created by God with a vacuum for God. We have a strong need in our innermost being for fullness of life. God wants to lavish on us his love and his riches, and so he creates within us a need for his love and his riches. And there is no fullness of life apart from a relationship with God. But the temptation is for us to redirect that hunger towards other things. To redirect that hunger towards other things. You find this in the very beginning. The fall of humanity. The serpent said to Eve, Eve who is hungry for God. The serpent gets Eve to have a hunger for something else. The serpent was really a good capitalist. He says, don't be content where you're at. Don't be happy with where you're at. Don't settle for where you're at. There's more. There's always more. You can have more things. You can have more knowledge. You can have more power. You can be like God. If only you'll do something. If only you'll work for it. If only you're willing to pay a little price. Reach out and grab it for yourself. He tempted Eve with that. We ourselves are tempted with the very same voice. 
It's the temptation that leads us to say to ourselves that we can make a fullness of life on our own. We can have a fullness of joy on our own. It's a temptation for us to think that you can actually meet inner spiritual needs with material things. That you can actually find spiritual happiness by having a nice house. And you can find spiritual contentment by driving a nice car or what have you. And it's deception. For us, this isn't just a a temptation. I I think it's, it's actually... It's almost inevitable that we'd fall into this because we don't have a single voice telling us this. We've got a million voices telling us this, getting us to direct our inner hunger towards material things. Do you know how much we are bombarded with messages from our culture that we've got to strive, we've got to get new things, we've got to buy more things, that, that, that our needs can be met by these physical things? Last night I was thinking of a couple of examples of some commercials and it was like I, I, I all, all of a sudden unlocked a door. When I went to bed, all these commercials began to come into my brain. <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm hearing, you got the right one, baby, uh-huh. <laughs> Trying to get that voice, does that ever happen to you where you try to get it out of your head and it won't go away? And then you hear Pepsi, the, the choice of a new generation. And what, after all, is the unsolved riddle of the universe? How, how can you make a, a, a soda so, so tasteful and yet so clear? <laughs> we are indoctrinated. Our brains have been invaded. The, the, the words of the serpent are, 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 are in there. And I had commercials coming back to me that I hadn't thought of for 20 years. But they're all there, all doing their little deeds, getting me to be a hungry, striving kind of person. Because I'm bad, I'm bad, you know it. <laughs> Who's bad? <laughs> Milk does a body good. Dr. Pepper, we love it. It's what the doctor ordered. I'll have a light. Not that kind of light, a Bud Light. Tastes great, less filling. Tastes great, less filling. We will serve no wine before our time. Thank you for bottle buying Bartles and James. Constant messages inside of our head. You can't, we're indoctrinated. Frosty Lucky Charms, the magically delicious. Where did that come from? I'm cooking for Cocoa Puffs, cooking for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Tony the Tiger says, they're great. Do it, do it now, do it cool, do it right, do it before lunch. Cheerios, Big G, Little O. How do you cram so many grams in Kellogg's sugar grams? <laughs> it's been invaded. What are you eating? Nothing, honey. What are you eating? Nothing, honey. Voices, voices, voices. TJ Maxx. You've got to see it to believe it. Who told you you can't have it all? Save good money at Menards. Come man, come man. Two o'clock in the morning is going through your head. Low, low prices for that good stuff. Rainbow foods. And the craziest ones. Eternity, eternity, eternity. Would you still love me if I was a man and you were a woman? You've heard it. Shelly, if you ever ask me that, we're going to go see a doctor. If I ever come home and she's actually turned into a man, I'm out of there. Marriage vows, forget it. Where do we get this stuff? All my women wear English leather or they wear nothing at all. (laughs) Nothing comes between me and my Calvin Klein jeans. Give her something 
to believe in. Give, say it right with a diamond. Honey, I'm broke. <laughs> Enter the world of Reebok. Reebok. Nike. Just do it. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Constant commercials bombarding us. And embarrassing ones about the deodorant and things of that sort. Do you ever suffer from irregularity? It's a soothing laxative. Do you ever get that unfresh feeling? Sure, unsure, sure, unsure, sure, unsure, unsure, unsure. That's why some people are inhibited in church about raising their hands. Yeah. Don't worry, God's not offended. And the worst one, guy's riding along with his wife on, on, the, on, the, on the horses. You know what's coming now. He's riding on the horse, you know, and he gets off the horses and he's kind of walking like this. You know the commercial. Honey, my hemorrhoids are killing me. And she's bringing along some preparation each in her purse. And I'm thinking, man, if your wife has to bring it along with you, you need some surgery or something, you got a bad. We are bombarded with commercials, you guys. I'm not the only one here who's a, 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 a junkie on all these commercials. I don't even watch TV that much. We, they're all there. We're not usually conscious of it, but, but they're there. Are tons of commercials. It takes a licking and keeps on bicking. Everybody, batteries are like sermons. They go on and on and on and on. There, it's all there. And, and when we stop and we look at the commercials, we say, that's silly, that's absurd, that's ridiculous. But the thing is, is that they're there and they're constantly talking to us in a subliminal kind of way and they're constantly making us believe that we, we, we got to buy more things. It's like creating a people with, in, in, in a, a sort of Orwellian world of 1984 where we're just walking around with glazed eyes saying, I need this kind of toothpaste. Four out of five doctors recommend Bayer, Buffer, and Advil. Exceed, Bayer, Buffer, which one is right? I, we're brainwashed. We're thoroughly brainwashed. And so there's a discontentment, a sort of mechanism that says, buy, 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 that's put on the inside of us. And this is why we need to take such a look at this and be aware of it, to keep it in check. The temptation is for us to really believe, though we wouldn't believe it with our minds, yet it works in a subliminal way on us, to think that we can get spiritual needs met with, with material things. It's also a trap. The second thing is it's a trap. It's a trap for this reason. Because to the degree that we sell out with our mind and with our hearts to the capitalist system, as good as it is economically, as great as it is economically, to the degree that we sell out on it, we become so entrapped that we don't have time to even consider the real issues of life. We're all hungry, but the real issues of life are, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Why, why are we here? How can we be right with God? But the sinister side of capitalism is this. It can get you so distracted and so busy thinking about things that don't really matter and thinking about ways to buy things that you don't really need that you never have time to consider what is really important in life. It's, it's like a trap. It's a diversion tactic. How many of us, when we're depressed about our finances, go out shopping? It's a distraction. It's like my little boy sometimes. We know when he's done something naughty because he starts playing with all of his toys in his room. It's a distraction. And it's no different with us. If we can surround our world with enough things, striving for things, striving for boats and striving for cars, the one who dies with the most toys wins. And so we just strive for the toys, more and more toys. We never invest in our relationship with God. We never look at what the real issues of life are. And we're trapped into thinking that if there's a remaining hunger in our heart, which there always is, well, it's just because we don't have quite enough things. And so we try a little harder and work a little harder. It's a temptation. It's a trap. The Bible says, number three, that it's foolish. Paul says it's foolish. It's foolish because it does not work. 
You know, I, what impresses me about cows and, and, and rabbits and, and cats is that their lives are so utterly absurd, meaningless, and boring. You know, they, they, they just, or we collect toads every summer, and, and they live the most ex- stupid existence. They're, they're just there. They just live for crickets. You feed them a cricket and eat a cricket. Eat a cricket, go to the bathroom, and make little toads. That's the entirety of their existence. And that's okay if you're a toad, and that's okay if you're a cat. You weren't meant to do anything else, and you're pretty content with that. But human beings are made for something different. We're made for more. We're made for meaning. We're made for purpose. But if you stop and look at it and get, get away from the distractions that our society, with all of its materialism, throws at us, if you look at it objectively, you'll see that selling out to the capitalist system reduces your life to a toad's existence. You're a rat on a treadmill. You work hard and slave so that you can get a lot of money, and you get a lot of money so that you can buy more things. And maybe you exist, maybe you exist with a little more luxury, maybe you exist with a little more convenience, and maybe you exist with a little more comfort, but in the end, you're just existing. You're just existing. It's a toad's life. It's a cow's existence. It's like living like a cat. But you were made for more than that. To the degree that we sell out to capitalism, and it absorbs our mind and absorbs our heart, and we spend all of our time chasing these things that don't really matter, to that degree, our lives, frankly, are absurd. Our lives, frankly, are meaningless. We're not being what we were created to be. And it's foolish because... You can't fill the infinite void in your heart with finite things. There is no peace and there is no tranquility in capitalism to the extent that we sell out to it. It thrives by making people discontent with where they're at. It thrives by keeping you perpetually hungry, by bombarding you with all these different messages so that you'll always be needing more and more. And that's good economically and it's good for society, but it's terrible for the Christian if you know who you were created for and what you live for. And after all of your striving and acquisition of material things, what does it do for you? Because you can't take the boat with you. You came into this world naked and you're going to leave naked. Zilcho, nothing. You go, the boat stays. You go, the nice house stays. You go, all of your cars and all of your clothing and all of the other things that you've acquired, they stay. It doesn't do a bit of good. It doesn't make a bit of difference. It's an absurd kind of reality, and we were created for more than that. Capitalism is a temptation. It's a trap. It's foolish. Number four, it's destructive. It's destructive on us precisely because we were created for more. Take a fish out of water, and it, it dries up and dies real quick. Stop giving air to the lungs and you suffocate. Stop giving food to the stomach and the stomach dries up and dies. Because the fish was made for the water and lungs were made for air and the stomach was made for food. But your soul, your soul this morning was made for God. And nothing is going to feed that soul except for a relationship with God. You can stuff yourself full of surrogate food, plastic food, It looks like it will really feed, but it never does. And you can feed yourself with that, and you die spiritually. And you can have the best house in the world, but your soul can be starving. And you can have the nicest cars and the nicest clothes and the biggest jewelry in the world, but your soul is still impoverished. You're dying on the inside. And you know it, but you think that the problem is just that you don't have quite enough things. So you live in the if-only mode, and you're always striving for more and more. But your soul dies because you were created for more than that. What we need to constantly remind ourselves of, and what this verse tells us here this morning, is that the only way that we'll find any kind of contentment in life, the only thing that feeds the soul is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And all the bolts and all the cars and all the fancy things in the world aren't going to touch that need. Only Christ can touch that need. In one sense, capitalism is right. And that is that we were created to be rich. We were created for riches. But it's not the kind of riches that you get by working hard. And it's not the kind of riches that are tied into some economic system. It's the riches of God's kingdom. And when you know Jesus Christ, when you have that forgiveness that comes from God, when, you lav- when you're lavished on by his love and his mercy and his grace, then you are a rich person. And it doesn't matter much what you have or don't have. You're a rich person because of who God is and because you're related to God. Your soul is rich. Your soul is full. And you're destined for an eternal inheritance. To live in the joy and bliss that God has always intended human beings to have. And a boat won't do that, and a car won't do it, and a house won't do it. Not that there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves, but as spiritual food, they stink. And the lie behind the system that tries to get us to think that that's where it's at stinks, and we need to be aware of it. The final thing that we need to say about capitalism is this. It is a heresy. It's... It's necessary, it's inevitable as a world system. But for the Christian, it's a heresy. And that's why Paul discusses it under the category of false doctrine. I want to say this really clear. So you don't think I'm some kind of liberation theologian or some you know, floaty, flighty, flickety kind of thing here. The Bible never says, never even suggests that money is wrong. It doesn't say that. It never... It never exalts poverty as a virtue, and it never condemns riches as a vice. It warns about riches because there's a danger there, because there's a trap and a temptation that we can be involved in. But riches themselves are not wrong. And on the other hand, God has, the Bible says, a special concern for the poor, but there's nothing holy about being poor. David was one of the richest men in all of Israel's history. Solomon was probably one of the richest men in all of world history. He owned an entire kingdom of Israel when Israel was was at its heyday. And the Bible says that God gave that to him. All all, All of the luxury that he had was a blessing from God. He was a man that was rightly related to God, at least for the most part of his life. And even in the New Testament, we find that the centurion... A very wealthy man of high standing, he followed Jesus. And in the book of Acts, Lydia owned her own business, a fabric kind of a business, and we know that she must have been a very wealthy person. There's nothing wrong about that. And if God gives you a a gift to, to make money, some people are just good at that. If you have a talent for making money, and God blesses you with it, then go with it. That's great. And the nice thing about capitalism is it lets you do that. Me, it's it's not my gift. If, if, if checks were basketballs, then I would be like, like, like Mike. I'd be like Michael Jordan, because I can bounce those things faster than anybody around. <laughs> so even my wife fired me from that job about five years ago. <laughs> I'm taking over the finances. It's not my gift, but if it is your gift, go with it, and there's nothing wrong with that. The question is not, what do you own? The question is, what is your attitude towards what you own? Or more pointedly, the question is, what do you do with what you own? You see, capitalism is based on, it requires this kind of mentality about the world. We're on a vacation. And when you're on a vacation, the, the uh, goal is to kick back, to think of yourself, to not worry about other issues, to bracket. And we all need a little bit of denial in our life, so just kind of deny that there are problems here and there. And just live in comfort and live in convenience and pamper yourself, and that's okay to do on vacation. Capitalism says, that's our basic attitude towards the world. Hey, you got to grab all the gusto you can get. You only go around once, another commercial. It's, it's about you. Go ahead and acquire as much as you want. Don't worry about other things, other people, whatever. Just live, acquire, get, eat, devour. 
But you see, if you were in Angola now, where there's a vicious civil war going on and there's a thousand kids starving to death every week, to live like you're on a vacation would be kind of unethical, wouldn't it? To just use all that you have to pamper yourself while there's a crisis going on all around you would be unethical. The Bible tells us that, as a matter of fact, the world is a sort of Angola. It's in a crisis situation. And we are called not to live primarily for the purpose of pampering ourselves and living in convenience and getting comfort and luxury and what other kind of toys we can acquire. There's a purpose that's in our life. There's a claim on our existence. We're called to do something. We're called to build the kingdom of God. We're called to demonstrate the kingdom of God. We're called to be about God's work in this world. There's a purpose, like there'd be a purpose for a person who was rich in Angola. Use some of your wealth to help the world around you. So also, there's nothing wrong with riches in and of themselves, but there must be a higher purpose that governs that, that leads you to do something with it. Don't sell out to the system. Use the system, but don't love the system. Find your level of, of, of living that is content for you, maybe needed for you to do the job that you're supposed to do in the world. But beyond that, hear the call that is upon us. I don't feel bad for being born in America. Sometimes people try to make me feel bad for that. I know that I live in a house that, that 90% of the world will never live in. And I know that my, my 86 fallen down horizon is still better than 85% of what the world travels in. And I know that my clothes are better than what 90% of the world has. And I know that by world standards I'm very rich. But I'm not going to feel guilty about that because I didn't choose to be born here instead of Angola. Blame God. Don't blame me. And so in this society, I will live in, in terms of what is normal for the society. If I would have rode a bike to the church this morning, I'd be here late. And if I was to preach to you with one of those little straps that the African Zulu people wear, I'd probably have a hard time communicating. <laughs> so I'm going to live according to this culture. But I must never forget that there's a call on my life, that in this short 70 years that I have to do here, I, there's a purpose, there's a mission. Money is power, and power is not bad. It can be good or bad. You can use power to, towards your own end while the world suffers, or you can use power to do some great things. You can build shelters with, 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 with money. You can, build, uh, you can re help rehab alcoholics and people who have been abused sexually and people who abuse people sexually. You can do that with money. You can build churches with money. You can print Bibles with money. You can support missionaries with money. You can reach people you otherwise can never reach with money. And what we need to hear is not to sell out to the system. Final word is this. Paul says that as Christians, know that we come into the world with nothing, know that we'll leave with nothing, and know where the fullness of life is. So live at the level of contentment that you need, but always hear that the surplus is for a higher good and invest in the kingdom of God. Don't sell out and be sucked up to the system. Let's stand and close in prayer. The altar, as usual, is open for any who might have needs that they want to pray for. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we, you haven't called us to just a toad's life. You've called us with a purpose. You've given us an agenda. And if greed, Lord, motivates most people to earn more and more and more, how much more should the vision of the kingdom of God motivate us, Lord, to, to strive to acquire whatever you bless us with, Lord? But God, help us never to see these as anything more than instruments to be used for the kingdom. Help us hear the voice, God, of, of your call and free us from the clutches that the billion 
commercials in our brain try to hammer into us, free us from that, Lord God, that we could live with the peace and the contentment that you've called us to live with. In your name we pray. Amen.